Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Joe Porter. In the program this week, we talk to the Warriors' new rugby league coach, Matthew Elliott, about the many challenges he faces in resurrecting the club's fortunes. We hear from the World Anti-Doping Agency's Director-General, David Howman, about the Lance Armstrong controversy. We chat to the New Zealand Breakers Centre, Alex Pledger, about his upgraded role at the club for the latest ANBL basketball season. We catch up with the Wellington Phoenix CEO, David Dome, to talk about the clash between FIFA International Windows and the A-League, and we preview the biggest triathlon event ever seen on these shores as the ITU Triathlon Grand Final comes to Auckland. The Warriors coaching saga has finally come to an end with the club unveiling former Penrith mentor Matthew Elliott as their new coach for the next two seasons. The Australian will take over at Mount Smart immediately after Brian McLennan was axed with a year remaining on his contract. The club's number one target, the Melbourne Premiership winning coach Craig Bellamy, turned down the Warriors job for next year and with the Aucklanders not wanting to take on a caretaker for a season until Bellamy becomes available, Elliott got the nod. I spoke to Elliott about his vision for the Warriors and about the opportunity he describes as the most exciting of his 16-year coaching career. I've been so fortunate in my coaching career uh, to have some great challenges, but to this point it's it's the one that's going to allow me to achieve you know, what I'd really like to achieve as a coach is that it's, there's a genuine opportunity to do something special here over a sustained period, not, you know not just visit the top of the competition occasionally. Um, so, you know, mate, I am. I'm just so excited and just can't wait to, you know, can't wait to start working. I guess on the flip side of that coin, having the resources poured in behind you, the full support of the management and being in charge and control of all of the footballing matters, no excuses then, I guess. Absolutely. And, you know, someone just asked me if they, they think that's pressure. Imagine not having that. You know, I've been in a situation where, you know, that hasn't been the case, and it's a really tough job to do without that support and without that expectation. So you know, I embrace that, and uh, I don't see it as pressure. I just see it as a really positive, you know, approach to to how we want the organisation to be. Elijah Taylor has come out and said that perhaps some of the players in the season just been weren't perhaps giving their all for the club. Have you worked with Polynesian and Maori players a lot in the past, and how do you think you'll go about rising to that challenge and getting these guys motivated and behind you? Yeah, I've got two responses to that. The first one is yes, I have. You know, I, I, someone just asked me. They're my two favourite players I've ever coached: are Ruben Wiki and Petro Sivanasiva, uh, two outstanding human beings, and uh, they're people like you and me. I mean, uh, you would. My cultural background is, I don't know, Scottish, English or something. So um, I really respect that. I was born on Thursday Island, which is a Torres Strait Island. So um, I just don't see it that way. I, I just see it as that, look, we're a group of group of men together and we all wanna, we're all want we all pushing in the same direction. All we've got to make sure is, is that we, we find the best possible way to do that. You talked about the immense talent pool that is in Auckland and New Zealand rugby and rugby league. But it's not just you 
vying for that talent. Obviously, there's a lot of NRL scouts over here. They know how deep a resource it is. How do you go about making sure you get the best players when they're so young before someone pinches them off you? Well, again, we've got a captive audience. We get the first crack at them. Go on. And um, that, that's the exciting thing. And, it, and talent is slightly overrated. Now, you can't win without talent, but everyone in the NRL is talented. And we, you know, we, we, we can't forget that. So it's how we actually, as an organisation, decide to resource that talent, develop that talent, and hold that talent accountable for being the very, very best it can be. And I, you know, I feel there's some work to do in that area. And in terms of player recruitment, obviously you've decided on your pre-season regime or campaign. Have you made approaches to any other players in terms of who you'd like to recruit? Well, I had to get this out of the way first, uh, um, but that's underway and there'll be announcements made in that area. Um, there's probably you know, a few areas in the in the squad that we need to make sure that we you know, we work on the depth there, but my strong will is, is that we'll be recruiting the best possible quality players we can to you know to, to increase you know the quality of the team but also the amount of competition within the group. What was the main thing that attracted you to the Warriors and to cross the ditch? Um, a few things really um, but in, during the process to meet you know Anglan and, the, and then to speak to Eric Watson on the phone and speak with Bill the chairman um, this is going to be a, a high quality athletic regime. I know that sounds a bit wordy, but this is going to be really well resourced, and you know, we've got the opportunity, you know, as a club, to become one of the premier, you know, sporting franchises you know, in, in Australasia. You talked about the adversity that you've overcome in, in recent years. I know it's hard to pinpoint one thing, but would there be the one biggest lesson you took from those experiences at Penrith and the Roosters that you can bring to the Warriors? Coaches coach, and you know the two best coaches in the competition, uh, deservedly so, um, run the two best. You know, so Des Hasler and, and, and Craig Bellamy, they are outstanding coaches and, and great people. Uh, let me say that as well. But they're the best resource coaches, and what they do is they coach their team. They don't get involved in any other part of the business. You know, that opportunity now exists at the Warriors. You know, and you know. I can do that, focus on the, the whole football program, knowing that players have been having a lot demanded of them and have been held accountable to do that without me being there all the time. The club has tasted success in the past, but often the year after they made the semi-finals, they had a rubbish year under Ivan Cleary. Obviously they made the grand final the previous year, and then in 2012 had a tough season. How do you maintain consistency of performance? Really, that my last answer answered that question as well is, is that if we have a high quality program running where we have the, the under 20s have you know obviously ex experienced some success and, and it's an indication of the talent you know, the, the progression of those under 20s and and putting a heap of pressure on the first grade through the through the Vulcans we have some work to do there and uh, our under 20s if any of them are listening they're going to be training a lot harder than our first grade players so that anyone that comes through that program they will be warriors
There has been talk that the under-20s, because they've been so strong on the offensive side of things, winning games by 30 points, but they've also leaked quite a few, but because they're scoring so many, they still win. There's a worry that when they then come up to NRL, those defensive frailties get exposed, and when they're coming up against more tougher defences, then the attack gets blunted, and therefore the defensive side of things really comes into play, and it has maybe been an issue this year with the Warriors leaking so many tries. Do you see that as a problem that is coming through? Well, I think that's maybe a slight result of, of look, is that there's a sublime amount of talent yeah. that I've witnessed in that team over over an extended period of time is that, but the NRL is a very, very tough competition it is extremely tough, it plays from, from the first second when they kick the ball off are under a huge amount of duress and we need to make sure that, that we don't even we don't make players through our, our, our development program even under the 20s, through the 20s, we've got to make sure that they're not dealing with it, they're setting a new standard. Biggest challenge? Biggest challenge? Uh, I'm, just, I don't, I'm just excited by it at the moment. I, you know, the biggest challenge is, is to get settled here as soon as I possibly can, get all my furniture over here, find a house and just get started. Matthew Elliott has very little time to get to know his players before preparations for 2013 begin with the Warriors pre-season starting in less than a month. The head of the World Anti-Doping Agency hopes a United States report labelling Lance Armstrong a serial drugs cheat will finally end the ongoing saga. The cyclist has already been stripped of his seven Tour de France titles and banned for life by the US group. The world cycling body will now decide whether to follow suit. The latest report says Armstrong headed the most elaborate doping scheme in sporting history and pressured his teammates to take performance-enhancing drugs. The Director-General of the World Anti-Doping Agency, David Howman, told Simon Mercip the US report finally settles any doubts about Armstrong's drug-taking. It's wide-reaching, uh, very thorough and professionally put together after quite a, quite a long investigation. So... I can't see uh, there being any need for the saga to continue. Even though uh, Mr Armstrong's lawyer still talks of a witch hunt and of a one-sided hatchet job, to use his words. Well, he didn't participate. So, you know, some of the, some of the things that he is now critical of, he probably could have done something about if he had partaken in the whole process. I think it's the first time that any athlete has uh, chosen to take this course of ignoring uh, ignoring a possibility of, of clearing their name or putting evidence before a tribunal. And I, I think it's a bit sad when they turn around then later and, and criticise the whole process. Although you are clearly uh, pleased with the overall outcome here, is there also, though, here an indictment in that it's taken so long to get to the bottom of this? Much of what was going on uh, and, and is drawn out by this recent decision uh, took place before we were in place. In other words, it was pre-2004 when the World Anti-Doping Code came into effect. So there was a lot that happened that we were not able to monitor, nor was USADA. And I think what you have to do is say, well, when did this information come to the hands of USADA? It, it came to them in 2010. So they put this case together in a pretty short period of time and, and uh, brought home the, the bacon, so to speak. What does this mean, though, for the future of doping and cycling. I guess you look at this and you say there's no doubt that the people who took part did so in a planned, deliberate way and that the uh, they might, some people might still want to try and do it. 
Well, and I suspect there will be some who, who want to do it, and, and we are living now in a world, Simon, of, of more and more people cheating and getting away with it, whether it be in sport or other elements of our society. What we've got to reach back to is, is a situation where we do not condone that cheating nor praise those who cheated. We've got to get to a situation where we say we praise those who didn't cheat and succeeded, and I think there are a couple of athletes in New Zealand who deserve that sort of praise. And is it also the case, though, that the, the scientists that you use are getting smarter at detecting all this? Well, I think we've got very smart scientists. What, what I've been saying to them in more recent times is that you guys all have very good values and you're good scientists. You've got to start thinking like people with bad values and, and, and are trying to help those who take advantage of, of bad people. Because too many people in the world that we survive in the anti-doping community have good values people we're coming up against are real bad, real bad people and some of them funded by the criminal underworld some of them funded by people who are taking advantage of people and so on so you've got to think like bad people to get them David Howman talking to Simon Mercer and this is Extra Time a web only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport I'm Joe Porter the New Zealand Breakers' Alex Pledger has been upgraded to the starting centre role at the club for the 2012-2013 ANBL basketball season, but it wasn't the most auspicious start for the man they call the Chief, with the seven-footer failing to pull down a single rebound in their season-opening loss to Perth. Pledger concedes the added responsibility was weighing on his mind before and during that tepid performance, and he copped a spray from coach Andre Lamanis after the match. Pledger's performances will have a much more direct influence on the defending champion Breakers' results this season and I caught up with the Chief to talk about his goals and what he needs to do to ensure he doesn't produce a display like the one against Perth again. He was obviously pretty disappointed with the, the rebounding effort but um, yeah he, he didn't really go after me you know it was kind of like a, you know rebounding as a, a team thing and as a t- I was particularly bad but as a but you know as a you know when you get out rebounded by whatever it was we did uh, you know it's not just down to one player but um but yeah you know he but you know that wasn't the only issue there's turnovers and just all around softness I guess and you know they're things that we've I think we've addressed this week yeah outside of the technical things and you know the rebounds and the, the game plans that didn't go to plan so to speak was there a mention of just a lift and effort yeah and you know that's what all those things are you know the loose balls and rebounding they're all they're all effort plays and the you know the team that normally wins those things normally puts himself in a better position to win and uh you know Perth just you know they I don't know they might have been motivated that they lost to us last year or by the you know the raising of the banner but you know they you know they unfortunately just uh wanted it a little more than than we did and yeah they yeah kind of embarrassed us but um yeah, um, but that being said, it's only one game and, and uh, there's 27 more to go and I'm pretty sure we'll bounce back. Does that feed your fire, that embarrassment, to really come out and you know, show you them what the Chief can do? Yeah, you know, I, you know, I didn't have the greatest game the other day, obviously, and, um, but, you know, I, I know that I'm more than capable of being good in this league and that, you know, I've proven myself, you know, internationally and in this league before, so... And I'm sure it'll be just a matter of time before, I don't know, well, it's only one game, but I'm pretty sure I'll snap out of it. And, uh, 
you know, and start playing the way that everyone knows I can. Obviously having a little bit more responsibility on your shoulders this year and being given the starting role, I guess, for the first time, did that perhaps put a bit of nerves in the belly before the Perth game? Um, yeah, there was a little bit. Yeah, I kind of kind of let on that I was all good and, yeah, whatever, but I actually was pretty damn nervous and, um, that you know, that that first game's out of the way and now, now I, um, you know, Hopefully we'll be able to just relax a little bit and uh, and play the way that I know I can. What are your personal goals for this game? Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to have a reboundless game ever again. Yeah, that one was just a little glitch in the system, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> and, um, but um, but yeah, just not you know not being outworked, not being out efforted, and just you know if. You know, making people shoot contested shots, not giving up anything easy, just just being more of a presence than I was last week. Did Usain Bolt give you any words of inspiration or anything that you particularly sort of remember or picked up from that experience to take into this game? Um, no, it was just, just I think just meeting them was uh, was was pretty good. You know, he he did, he didn't have a lot to say. I, I think he was he just got off the plane when he got here, so he was probably half asleep. But um. Yeah, you know, the, the best athlete probably in the history of people <laughs> just showing up and, uh, you know, coming to your practice and hanging out with you for a little bit. You know, it's, uh, it was pretty cool and, you know, we're all, uh, you know, I think we all got a little something out of that and, and you know, kind of use that as a little motivation. Alex Pledger. While the Wellington Phoenix footballers got their A-League season underway with a dominant attacking 2-0 home win over Sydney FC, the depth of the squad will be well and truly tested for this weekend's match in Melbourne against the Heart. The Phoenix will be missing seven players because of international duty, with six of the Phoenix regulars including both goalkeepers involved in the All-Whites matches against Tahiti, while new striker Benjamin Tortori will feature for his Solomon Islands team. Unlike most leagues, the A-League doesn't take breaks for FIFA windows. Still, with young Louis Fenton and new Belgian striker Stane Hoosigems both scoring on debut, the Phoenix general manager David Domes looking at the heart game as an opportunity for the Knicks' new crop to shine. Yeah, it was a good start, wasn't it? Yeah, no, we, everyone here is really happy about it. We're really happy with how young Louis did. We're happy with how Stane's come on. You know, he's had a bit of a pre-season to play his way into some form and, and get to know the other players. And, and the coaches have done a magnificent job with bringing these players on. And now we're really we're, we're stoked that they played some magnificent football all round. You know, just really pleased. The fruits are starting to, to flower now, and we're you know we're really happy. Still, it's going to be a challenge coming up through this international window, isn't it? I understand you can have uh, perhaps seven players missing this week. That's a real challenge, and it's a bit of a shame, perhaps, that the A-League doesn't follow the Premier League and most of the leagues around the world and have a break. Yeah, look, it's a challenge. There's no doubt about it. Hopefully, we'll be able to rectify that going forward, but there's no doubt about it that it is a challenge for us this week. Uh, we'll have to call up some players, and look, you know, it's it's a big call. It's a huge challenge for them, and and who knows, they could get over there and, and get a draw or a, or a win, and they come back absolute heroes and <laughs> have even more headaches. But you know, it's it is what it is. We have to make the most of it now, and um, like I say, the coach has been working pretty hard on it and, and trying to give us the best possible chance of going over there and getting some points. Why don't they follow the lead of of, of all the other leagues, really? The A-League works within a, in a certain window, and they, what it is is they try and squeeze the, the entire season into that into that window that they've got. They're now reconsidering that, whether they go longer at the other end or, or start earlier. 
and that's because of when the other codes are playing as well. You know, as you know, you don't want to get caught up in the Australian end of the, end of the Australian winter season, which is when the AFL and the NRL play. So they want to, to start after that, but then they want to finish before um, you know, the weather turns in Australia or New Zealand as well. So there are some constraints, but I think what will happen is, is this year is, is you know with the Phoenix playing hard and having the seven absentees, and I think it will change some thoughts on that. You mentioned having to call some players up. Are these coming from your new academy? Correct, yes. Uh, well, the majority of them will come from the new academy, and we're just working through that process now and finalising those players that Ricky wants to bring in, and so we're just doing the paperwork around those now. Uh, how many do you think you'll have to be bringing in? Um, Stuff.co.nz says uh, at least four debutants. Yeah, yeah, there has to be about three or four players brought up into the squad to make up the numbers to give us the, the full entitlement. So, yeah, that's probably that's not too far off at those, those sorts of numbers, yeah. Louis Fenton showed what sort of an impact an academy player can have on the weekend, and I guess you know the academy is even more important now. Oh, look, it's hugely, it's become hugely important. So you, you, you know, we've only had the academy for about six months, and you saw the fruits there. I mean, Louis had a magnificent game against uh, Brett Emerton, one of the stars of the A League and a, an ex Premier League defender, and Louis got in front of him, you know, and, and scored a cracking goal. So. There's no doubt about it that Louis had a magnificent game and he's just showing what, what we can do when we have the resources. We can actually develop these players into true A-league quality players with the right time. Now, Ricky's, Ricky's brought them in and the coaches of other, and, and Chris Greenacre and Jonathan Gordon bring, brought these players on and, and developed them over the last six months and, and look what look them turned out. So it's, uh, no, it's been magnificent. I heard Ricky on the weekend saying it's taken too long for his liking for the academy to get up and running. It's only been going for six months. What, what was the reasoning, you know, how come it took this amount of time, you were the only club, I think, in the A-League without an academy. There wasn't the structure. Under the previous owner, there wasn't the structure with the resources in place to be able to, to sustain it. Uh, but now with the, the, the drive of the new ownership group and, and the will and, uh, to do it, uh, we've managed to pull it around. And, and yeah, we, we've now had the ability to bring these kids in. And, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff that has to go into having an academy. You know, you've got to house and accommodate these kids and you've got to... You know, you've got to make sure they have a living expenses covered and all that sort of stuff. So it is quite a logistical exercise and, and uh, it does take a little bit of um, resource and, and drive and that's what the new ownership group have brought to the table. So there is actually a physical academy and, and, and there's a live-in situation. Where, where is this and, and, and how does it sort of work? No, there's not a single accommodation. I mean, they are... They spread around the city. You know, some of the villas had some of, you know, like for example, Louis Fenton's still at home with his, his mum and dad. Right. That's a perfect example. Um, but a few of them uh, live together in, in the townhouse. So, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of courses for courses depending on the actual players. But uh, the day to day training is all with the first team. So, I mean, they have become, you know, a core part of the group. Okay. So they actually just muck in at training along with everybody else? Yep. Yep. No, they, they turn up to training. They have, uh, because they're youth players and they're academy players, they have their own jobs they've got to do. They have to, uh, put out the, um, the cones in the morning and they have to put out the mannequins and they have to clean boots and do help the kit man get all the kit ready and all this sort of stuff. So they have a true apprentice type of role that it sort of puts them in good stead for their professional careers. But there's no doubt about it, they have to do some of the menial type of tasks. But yeah, after that, they, they train with the first team, they eat with the first team, they hang out with the first team, they do all the programs the first team does. So they get a real sense of what it is to be a professional footballer at the same time. Nice old school aspect there, cleaning the boots, I imagine. That's, that's classic. Yeah, no, that's exactly what they have to do. Very, it is kind of it, it, well, that came through from the, from the coaches. That was their experience when they were um, apprentices, and they said, "Look, this put us in good stead. It, it made sure we kept our feet on the ground, and we didn't think just because we had these uh, 
contracts, and all of a sudden we were um, you know, football superstars. So they've brought that through from their um, own background, and I think it's been uh, it's been excellent. It's kept the it's kept the boys grounded and make sure they keep them focused on what it is they're here to do. The Phoenix general manager David Dome speaking to Richard Wayne. The streets of Auckland will be taken over for large parts of this week and Labour weekend by the world's elite and not-so-elite triathletes as the triathlon grand final is raced in our biggest city. The event is the culmination of the top-tier World Championship Series as well as a one-off decider for the various age group World Championships and the para-triathlon event. Dave Beach was the CEO of Triathlon New Zealand for five years before stepping down to take up the rather large job of coordinating the grand final and it's taken him two years to organise. As an example of the scale of the event, the health and safety document totals over 400 pages, bigger than the equivalent file for last year's Rugby World Cup. And as Richard Wayne found out, Beach's project involves a huge amount of planning and buy-in from Auckland's council and local authorities. Last year we had an ITL World Cup test event and this year is going to be like that event but on steroids. It's going to be much longer duration, much bigger with all the world's best athletes here, thousands more participants and tens of thousands more spectators so it's going to be a, a huge step up. It's going to be a very big event. Can we sort of get a picture of the scale of this? I mean, we're taking over downtown Auckland pretty much, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, pretty much Labour Weekend, the road closures are going to be quite significant and uh, those, that city centre courts, especially on the Saturday and Sunday of Labour Weekend, um, is going to just be such a fantastic spectacle. It's nice and hilly and challenging for the athletes. But you look, in terms of scale, we've got over the course of the week, we've got over 5,000 athletes competing. We're going to have 50,000 plus spectators on the key days. We're going to have about 25 million global TV audience. So it's, you know, it's scale-wise, it's, yeah, as I said, it's a big step up from, from last year. And there's a program for everyone. So we've got participation events from anyone age seven up, starting with the Weekbix Kids Race uh, this weekend in St Helias, uh, and then running right through to beginners races. And we've got aquathons, which are swim-run events. We've got the weekend warrior-type uh, event for the age group World Championships. And then, of course, we've got the world's best elite athletes coming here as well. How did you pull this off in terms of getting a buy-in from the authorities? Because, I mean, you are going to be shutting down streets, well-used streets in downtown Auckland for quite some time. Yeah, look, I think we're working in a new landscape in Auckland now for major events, and I think we can uh, thank Rugby World Cup partly for that. You know, they actually changed the whole approach in thinking about major events. So, you know, that, that event was already well in the pipeline by the time we sort of came to the table and uh, with our um, rather ambitious plan of uh, closing down half of Auckland's roads. It's actually been a fantastic process. So the likes of AT, the Auckland Tourism Event and Economic Development Agency... Thanks for spelling that out. <laughs> Shortened to AT. Waterfront Auckland, Transport Auckland, the port in particular, have all been fantastic to work with. There's definitely a yes, let's work out how we can do it rather than a no, that's impossible. You know, one example is the Britomart bus station. You know, we are going to shut that down for two full days. It's New Zealand's biggest transport hub, and uh, there's going to be a whole lot of buses having to be shifted into other areas as a result. And you know, when we initially tabled that plan and the course we wanted to use two years ago with Auckland Transport are quite incredulous I think around what we wanted to do but you know within six weeks two months they uh, I'll never forget this meeting we came back to them meet with them for the third time and I was expecting a whole lot more issues and barriers and problems and they just basically pushed a plan across the table 40 pages and said yep we can do it this is how we're going to do it we're all go and uh, it's just one little example of how all the agencies are now you know, working at how you can do things rather than putting out barriers. Yeah, your, your competition manager Terry Sheldrake said he reckoned organising the appropriate authorities to help out with this you know, massive event was a lot easier than it would have been to organise a weekend triathlon back in his hometown of Gisborne. I mean, that, that really illustrates the, the change in mindset with these authorities. Yeah, absolutely. Change in mindset, totally agree with that. But I also think that there's something about once you get to a tipping point in terms of the scale of an event and the world, I guess, magnitude of it. And look, I'm not saying that triathlon 
of the sport is anywhere near football or rugby, but you know this is the biggest global event for the sport, you know, outside the Olympic Games. So when you get to a certain stature as a major event, I think that almost makes the conversations easier with those agencies because you're trying to close roads for something that you know, 25 million people are going to see around the world and um, tens of thousands of Aucklanders and other New Zealanders are going to come and watch. So I think it actually gets easier once you get to a certain scale. It's almost those mid-ground events where you do want to have some impact on a city that are more difficult. There's going to be a massive payback for Auckland. The predicted net economic impact from this event, from the modelling we did a while back, is about 6.9 million, and that's after the, you take into account the million they've already invested. So, um, and we're confident of achieving that because the numbers that we're getting from international visitors coming to this event are looking to be more than what we predicted. So, um, that'll stay for a week, spend lots of money, hotels, bars, the rest of it. So, um, you know, it's going to, these major events do drive a lot of positive economic impact as well as all the other benefits they bring. Yeah, and you said, was it 25 million eyeballs you said? Yes, that? yeah. 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 So, like, that's, that for AT, that's just gold, isn't it, to, to showcase, you know, Auckland. Is AT, um, is that a newish body in, in the scheme of things that came along with Auckland? City? That's right, yeah. yeah. So it used to be, you used to work with Auckland Council, um, they used to have an events arm, but under the new super city structure there's seven council controlled organisations and one of them is the Auckland Tourism uh, Event and Economic Development Agency. Thanks for spelling that out. <laughs> Shortened to AT. Um, and they're the funding and support arm for major events. Right, well let's get on to the race. Um, you are missing the two Olympic gold medalists in the elite men and women but neither of them were actually in the running for the event. I think Alistair Brownlee had um, that big injury which he only just managed to get back for the Olympics for, and that would have ruined his um, season, I imagine. Was that the case with him? Yes, that's right. And um, so, yeah, as you know, the World Championship now is decided across a series rather than a one-off event, with this final event counting for more points. So, uh, But, yeah, Alistair was never in the, in the race after an um, injury a plagued opening to the season. Um, and same with uh, Nicholas Berg. So um, it's not going to really affect the race as far as we can see. It's still going to be a fantastic battle out there with Jonathan Brownlee and Javier Gomez trying to take mm. down the Kiwis. The bronze so. and the silver medalists fighting it out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And same in the women. Same in the women. Yeah, with Erin Densham and Lisa Norton. So, um, and, uh, you know, with, with, I guess, Andrea still in the mix, uh, she has a really good race um, to take out the overall world title. Um, Is she really? Well, if the others have a poor race, you know, if something happens, she's, she's sitting fourth on the table yeah, at the moment. Yeah, but so. it's a couple hundred points or something. Yeah, so she'd have to, I mean, she'd have to pretty much win this one, and the others, I haven't done the exact numbers on where they'd have to be in the pack, but she's still in with a, a shot, um, if not to, to win, then at least to be on that podium for the overall world series. Right. Yeah, so she can come third, pretty much, and that's more realistic than second or first. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then um, in the men's, we haven't really got anyone in contention for the overall world title, but, mm. you know, I guess what the Kiwis uh, crowd comes to see on the day is New Zealanders performing on the day, so, mm. um, you know, the more relevance is really, I guess, from our perspective, who wins on the day here, yeah. and uh, we'd love to see, you know, Andrea perhaps uh, on the podium, and uh, hopefully uh, either Chris or Bevan in the, in the men's. The CEO of the event, Dave Beach, says they're reasonably confident the International Triathlon Union will agree on an annual Auckland League and he's hoping to be able to make an announcement within a week or so. And that's the show for this week. Feedback is welcome via sport at radionz.co.nz. You can get the latest sports news anytime on our website while we'll be back with the next web-only Extra Time show next week. I'm Joe Porter. Bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.